Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're having a good day. Thank you for letting us be part of your day. We'll be talking about a number of things today, including the ag economy and trade talks and outlook for 2019. University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin will be joining us on the program today. President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, Jeff Cooper, will be dropping by, too, to talk about whether or not this government shutdown hurts the chances of getting E15 sales approved for this summer. We're also going to talk uh, fake meat with Danielle Beck with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association a little bit later on. First, I want to welcome uh, more stations to our Adams on Agriculture family. Very exciting start to 2019. You know, uh, we've only been on the air less than a year with this show, and we've had great support. A lot of stations joining us all the time. I want to thank all the stations that carry uh, Adams on Agriculture, really appreciate it. And we welcome to that group, Quix Radio, KWIX, 1230 AM in Moberly and 92.5 FM, k Missouri. Welcome aboard, Quix Radio. Good to be talking to folks in those listening areas, and great to have you aboard. Great to have with us now John Jenkinson from RFD-TV. You see him on there with Janet Atkinson and Marlon Bowling and the crew. John, how are you? I'm very well, Mike. Good morning. Happy New Year, and congratulations on the success of the show. Thank you very much. Hey, you're a Kansas guy, and uh, I was thinking about you when uh, Pat Roberts made his announcement last week that he will not be seeking re-election. Um, I, I guess all of us in this business that have been around Pat Roberts over the years, we have a lot of Pat Roberts stories, but I know you being in Kansas, you uh, had a lot of contact with him. What were some of your thoughts about his his years in both the House and the Senate? You know, Mike, he has, uh, he's been a champion for agriculture and, a, and a, a big voice in Washington for a long time. He first, before he ever was a senator, he was a representative and he was very, very, um, uh, active, I guess is the, is the correct term, <clears throat> in writing a lot of the farm bills, uh, whether he was in the House uh, as representative or even when he moved to the Senate and became Senate Ag Chair. And so, um, I, I tell you, there, the agriculture uh, in the United States will uh, really be uh, will really be uh, having to fill some big shoes uh, when he does uh, leave office here in what is it a little bit a little bit over a year. But um, you know he, the senator is 82, and uh, he's he's been in Washington for a long time, and so these things happen, and we cycle out, and we'll uh, we'll be in search of somebody that can do uh, as much as uh, Senator Roberts. That's going to be it. As I mentioned, tough tough shoes to fill. Yeah, I think this last farm bill, uh, regardless of the what's in the farm bill, just getting it passed may be one of his biggest accomplishments. And his willingness uh, and his vision to look at it in a bipartisan approach, what it would take to get the votes, what it would take to get the bill passed and signed, um, his leadership was invaluable in this last farm bill. Well, it was, <clears throat> and you make a you make a good point, and that's the fact that he has always been uh, tried to make sure that agriculture came first and not have partisan politics, because you and I both uh, remember a time when he was the minority ag leader in the Senate, when Debbie Stabenow was the majority leader and the chair, and he continued to work with her and and tried to make sure that the interests 
of American agriculture were put first before politics. And it certainly showed up in this last uh, go-around here again in this farm bill. And uh, now we've got one that's in place uh, probably sooner than what some had expected. And uh, I think we're moving in the right direction. But um, it is his work is, is certainly appreciated. Talking with John Jenkinson from RFD-TV. John, uh, of course, having trouble implementing this farm bill because of the government shutdown. It affects a lot of people in a lot of different ways, doesn't it? It does, and I spoke with an ag lender over the weekend about this, and I asked him, I says, are you concerned about this government shutdown? Uh, he indicated to me, he says, you know, that the longer it goes on, probably the more concerned he is from a lender standpoint to make sure that the government programs uh, are going to be funded. He said he knows that, um, you know, uh, eventually the government will be back to business and all of that money will come through, but he says, there's going to be a gap in here uh, at the beginning that, you know, with, uh, with very limited payments, with not much going on, some of these farmers who were counting on that could uh, start to, you know, uh, be under a little duress. And so he said that he was going to talk to the people that he deals with, and they were going to do their best to kind of help bridge that gap until the government is back open. But as you mentioned, um there's a lot of things that go on hold, and one of those, of course, is uh, also uh, not just the farm programs, but also what happens with trade, what happens with uh, the, uh, the communication that we're having with these other countries, trying to make sure that we keep good trade in place. Yep, and those talks with China ongoing, and sounds like they're going all right. We're not hearing any uh, big problems or issues. Sounds like they're willing to keep talking. That's always a good thing. And uh, certainly you do a lot with the markets. You cover the markets very closely. They're going to be reacting to whatever they hear out of those talks. Oh, uh, in a big way. Uh, A lot of the folks that we talk to on the floor of the trade every day, that's one of the things that they say. This market has the potential to really perform this year, but a lot of it is just the unknown. It's this not knowing for sure how much business is going to get done, if it's going to get done, when it's going to get done, has caused so much volatility, so much uncertainty in the markets. And, of course, that trickles all the way back to the farm gate. A lot of producers would sure like to know, uh, you know, in fact, yesterday after church, even or uh, Sunday after church, I had somebody ask me, what's this, uh, what's the grain market going to do? Well, at all wish we knew, and it all hinges on trade, and China is one of those uh, don't know yet. Yep, a lot of Sounds like, you know, you get a little more positive news, a few more soybean purchases. Uh, they're approving some biotech traits we've been waiting on for some time. Uh, all those uh, seem like positive signs. Yes, they are. And one of the things that uh, I was talking to an analyst last week about this, he was mentioning to me that we may, once the government is back up and running at full speed, we may be able to put a handle on how much we've sold and what the what our carryouts and things like that are going to look like. And all of that information is going to hit the market at once, and the market's really going to have to work through some uh, a lot of numbers when we do get this because, you know, this Friday's World Supply and Demand Estimate has been postponed. And so we won't have any of those numbers. And this is one of the bigger reports of the entire year. So the market will have a lot of volatility and a lot of information to work through once the government's back to work. 
Yeah, you market reporters, you you have to get creative on Friday. You won't have to the numbers that you thought you were going to get to use, right? Mike, we've had to be creative since all of this got started because there's such a limited amount of information. It's uh, it's been a it's been a challenge. <laughs> Hey, thanks for your time. We'll let you go. Get get that TV makeup uh, touched up and get ready to go again uh, there on RFD TV. Thanks, John. All right. Thanks a lot, Mike. Have a great day. You too. Always good to talk with you. John Jenkinson from RFD TV. All right. We're going to talk a little later with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, and Danielle Beck with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. But want to get some thoughts on the ag economy and the trade talks and the RFS and much more with University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin. That's coming up next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. I can't believe you found them. He seems sorry. We very clearly told him not to look up there. I'm honestly impressed that he was able to do it. Right? What did he balance on that big chair? Or... Yeah, I mean, I guess he'll just know what his gifts are this year. I really thought we had hidden them well. If they can find their presence, they can find a gun. 911, what is your emergency? Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and End Family Fire. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Uh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Powerful threat calls for a greater response. When there's a battle, bring strength. When there's a problem, seek answers. When there is doubt, give hope. Not tomorrow. Not in a few years. Right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. Visit standuptocancer.org to learn more. 
Together, we can save lives. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, good to check in with Scott Irwin, University of Illinois Ag Economist. Lots to talk about. Uh, I guess, Scott, the two big stories we're watching right now, the government shutdown and talks with China, and uh, both of those certainly have big impacts on agriculture. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think the best way to think about the immediate impact of the USDA being shut down is, of course, missing these really important uh, January crop reports, uh, hopefully not for too much longer. Uh, those really do form the benchmark for what we think happened in the last year as we start to think about you know, the outlook and crop decisions for the next year. For those who question government crop numbers and reports, uh, when we don't have them, we start seeing the value of them. Well, what's the old saying? Uh, Mike, uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> this seems like a, <laughs> yeah. a, a situation kind of like that. Uh, don't know what you have until it's gone. And I think we're, you know, it's not really what we would like to see, but it does demonstrate uh, the value and importance that these big USDA reports have for benchmarking the data that we need on supply and demand in these markets. And, Scott, there's no getting around. If we look at any outlook, ag outlook for 2019, it's going to, a lot of it's going to be tied to what happens with China. That's why these talks are so important. And while we try not to get, uh, you know, too far out in front on this or, uh, you know, get uh, too aggressive or speculate too much, it does sound like talks are at least going well enough that they're, they're still talking and planning on keeping uh, talks going. So that, that in itself is a positive right there. No, I agree. The fact that both sides are continuing to engage rather than just being in a stare-off is a positive sign. Uh, the way I like to think about it, you can hear the sounds of the ice cracking a bit, uh, but you know, is it going to thaw completely is what we're trying to figure out right now. I think the fundamentals have changed in, for both countries in terms of especially China, their economy has clearly been hurt to some degree by the, the trade war. Pr- looks like probably overall worse than the U.S. economy. So I think that that's probably what is causing the movement right now. Uh, but we're asking for some really big changes in the way they operate their economy. So uh, a good dose of skepticism is is still in order. Yeah, I think that's the big point here. Uh, we've seen some small signs, uh, a few soybean purchases. Now we're hearing about approval of biotech traits. Uh, is that uh, an opening of the door with China, or is that just them trying to appease us somewhat and try to avoid the big changes we're pushing for? You know, I honestly don't know. That's the answer everybody would like to know. I think probably only a few people at the highest levels of the Chinese government know the answer to that question. You know, are they really willing to make a deal that President Trump will accept or not? Um, And so I think that's why I still remain cautious, because um, I think 
that the president has put himself in a position where he can't ex- accept just a face-saving agreement with China. He's, he's got to be able to come home and say, you know, after engaging in this level of trade warfare, that it's achieved something real in terms of those big objectives. We're talking with University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin. So, Scott, I, you know, I'd like to just say, okay, what's your uh, corn and soybean outlook for 2019? I would think you'd almost have to have two. One, if you get, we get a deal with China, and one if we don't. But even then, you don't know what the deal entails. So I, I would think as hard as it is any year, it must be even harder this year. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you've, you've put it well. And I think that that's the right way to think about uh, markets going forward. Uh, And in particular, what I find really interesting right now is to think through uh, if there is some kind of deal, I think everyone's focused on soybeans, and there's good reasons for that. There's a 25% tariff in place from China. That's, That's obviously a big deal if that would be removed. Uh, But I think, at least in the short run, there could be some surprising benefits for corn. I think corn's a sleeper in all this. How much so? Well, I think uh, one of the ways that uh, China could demonstrate, you know, their seriousness would be some significant purchases of corn for uh, imports and the one that I'm really keeping my eye on is, you know, is ethanol imports, are mm-hmm. us exporting ethanol. You know, it wouldn't take really large volumes relative to the size of their domestic gasoline market, given their desire to get up to a 10% blend, to make a big difference in U.S. ethanol markets. Yeah, I think that's a story that's probably not getting reported enough, uh, the that impact that could come out of this if they would uh, open up to uh, those uh, to those sales because uh, we we were starting to see some promise and, and some real hope of, of uh, ethanol and ethanol uh, byproducts uh, going into China so that could be uh, a big story to watch here in 2019 Scott I want to get yes. your thoughts so what do you see land values doing this year I continue I see them being uh, a soft slide, continuing generally being soft. I don't see an imminent uh, collapse or crash in land values uh, unless we would see a dramatic upward spike in interest rates. So I think with the kind of grind downwards with um, the profit outlook, even if the trade situation gets resolved, uh, you know, I think that these land values are just going to be a bit soft. You know, I keep saying that I, I don't want to be pessimistic at all, but, you know, we talk a lot about China. Uh, I, I try to cushion it or try to, you know, uh, describe it as this. It, a trade deal with them would be very good, but it doesn't solve all of ag's problems, right? I mean, the, it's not the one magic bullet. Uh, it's a, it would be a big step towards turning this ag economy around, but others would need to be taken as well. Yeah, there's one number that we have to keep in mind when we think about uh, answering that question, one billion bushels. That's where we're in the neighborhood of in terms of a soybean carryout. Uh, you know, so what if if China comes in and let's just say they buy 300 million bushels more soybeans in the next marketing year? 
you know, maybe we get our carry out under 700 million bushels. That That's sobering. What do you see happening in South America? They got off to a good start weather-wise, crop-wise. It's turned a little bit on them, but uh, what do you see coming out of South America? I, You know, right now it appears that some damage to the crop is imminent, but it's always, at, you know, there just isn't the data streams like we have in the U.S. to get a really good handle on it. So, you know, the USDA has been at uh, 122 million tons. I think we're likely to, at this point, from what we know and um, what we're seeing for the weather forecast for the next few couple weeks, that they're likely to come in some below that. And so now the guessing is really how much. What do you see for acres here in the U.S. this year? Will we see that big switch away from soybeans, or will that not be as much as uh, some had thought earlier on? I've I've been in the camp that we'll probably not see quite as big of a shift in soybean acreage as some have predicted. I'm in the range of uh, a drop of 3 to 4 million acres on soybeans, and we just, you know, rotational considerations, you know, maybe betting a little bit on uh, a rebound in prices with the trade agreement. You know, I just think that um, a switch of, say, five to seven million acres would really surprise me. Hmm. Some were saying we needed a switch of 10 million. So three to four, <laughs> far a long ways from that 10. Yeah, and so maybe I'll be surprised, but... Um, you know, that would be a, a really huge adjustment in rotation somewhere. Yeah, and we haven't seen anything yet to, to really spur that big switch, have we? Well, not, not, not picking up so far information that, you know, would lead to that uh, sharp of a drop. You know, it's, it's important to remember that while we're going to be forward-looking when we make those rotational uh, and the acreage allocation decisions in 2019, you know, people looking at their income statements are going, you know, like in a state yeah. like Illinois, oh, my gosh, with my market facilitation payments, I made a lot of money on soybeans this year. Yeah, that could that, weigh into that, pretty heavy, have yeah. some. That's sure. going to have some residual effect of that. Yep. As always, good to talk with you, Scott. Thanks a lot. Always my pleasure, Mike. Take care. University of Illinois Ag Economist Scott Irwin. Stay with us. This is AOA Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. 
from the American Ag Network. What does Meals on Wheels do? They deliver meals and smiles to homebound seniors. But Meals on Wheels does something else. They turn a volunteer's lunch break into a meaningful experience. As small and as simple as the relationship is between a volunteer and a client of Meals on Wheels, it's really so impactful. I never thought that five minutes could make so much difference in the lives of two people, but it has. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. In the grain and oil seed sector, we've got a mix on a Tuesday. Soybean futures are backpedaling six to seven cents lower after a rally on Monday. Corn futures near unchanged. The wheat futures not more than three cents away from steady money. Reports that Chinese state companies purchased more soybeans yesterday, driving the futures, although USDA cannot confirm the purchases until the government is reopened. March soybeans continued last week's advances to begin the trading week, but we are backpedaling on a turnaround Tuesday. Soybean bulls face long-term 200-day moving average resistance at 9.30 and three-quarters of a cent. 20-day moving average seen at 9.10 and three-quarters. Weekly export inspections of 24.7 million bushels below what's needed to keep up with USDA's forecast. Total inspections, according to the wire talk, continue to lag last year by around 40%. The ag weather forecast calling for a continued warm Midwest pattern through the next seven days in the U.S. In the southern plains, conditions remain favorable for overwintering wheat. Mostly hot and dry conditions, again in the forecast for northern and northeastern Brazil. In the wheat futures, we're trending a fraction lower in Minneapolis spring wheat, but one to three and a quarter higher in Chicago and Kansas City on a Tuesday session. For livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures, we are firm to 40 cents higher in the nearbys. February up 40 cents at 123.60. Feeder cattle, a dime to 25 higher after triple-digit advances on Monday. Lean hog futures 40 to 90 cents higher. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow is up 141 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you going to do? You're going to go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. you got to dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. No, you won't. Because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. As this government shutdown continues, does it threaten getting E15 sales 
approved for this summer. Let's talk about it with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, thanks for joining us. EPA did not leave themselves much margin for error to begin with in uh, getting everything done by June 1st. How much does this government shutdown threaten that timeline and being able to get things done by this summer? Well, thanks for having me, Mike, and you're exactly right. EPA gave itself very little wiggle room to start out with uh, when they said that they were going to publish a proposal in February and then take public comment on it and then hopefully have a a final rule out in late May or certainly in time for for June 1st. Uh, So this government shutdown is taking a a tight timeline and making it even tighter, and, and honestly, with each passing day as this shutdown continues, we're growing a little more anxious and concerned about EPA's ability to, to get this done uh, in time for the summer driving season. So I keep hearing that a lot of work's been done behind the scenes and, uh, you know, they can kind of really, once the government shutdown's over, they can really hit the ground running. Is that what you're hearing? Well, we, we do know that EPA has been doing a lot of work on this uh, proposal. Uh, it's something they've been thinking about and talking about for, for really months. Um you know, if not years, actually. So, I mean, it, it is something that uh, the, the career staff there um, have been focused on. Uh, but, you know, let's let's get it done. It isn't rocket science. It, it is a fairly simple fix in our mind. Let, let's make it happen. And, and so uh, we are of the opinion that when this shutdown ends, um, it should be pretty easy for EPA uh, to tie up any loose ends on this proposal and get it out on the street for public comment. Jeff, is the delay, though, or even the questions of whether it'll be done by June 1st, which were there anyway because of the tight timeline, mm-hmm. is that keeping some retailers from going ahead and making plans uh, for E15, or are some going ahead anyway? Well, we, we saw a couple of announcements uh, right after President Trump uh, went to Iowa last October and announced that he's directing EPA to get this done. Uh, we heard from Casey's and, and Cumberland Farms, a couple large retail chains, and, and certainly with Casey's, we've, we have seen some progress uh, since they made their announcement that they're going to expand their E15 offerings. Uh, but beyond that, yeah, it's kind of been uh, retailers taking a wait-and-see attitude and, and kind of remaining on the sidelines and, and watching what's happening. And, and certainly any further delay or, or any disruption in the schedule to get this rule out um, is going to keep them um, on the sidelines, and it's, and it's going to prevent them from making the investments necessary and taking the steps necessary uh, to be ready in time for June 1 to offer E15. So, um, you know, just from a signaling standpoint, it, it, it absolutely is not helpful uh, to have this shutdown dragging out uh, something that was already considered uh, a pretty tall order to get done in time for summer. What does it take for a retailer to make the switch to be able to add E15? Well, it really depends on, you know, it's kind of a case-by-case basis. There are some retailers that uh, can make that switch very easily. They they already have uh, compatible equipment, both underground, and and their dispensers are also compatible. So so in those cases, it's really just, um, you know, changing some signage and and making sure that you've got the right labeling and, and got the misfuel mitigation plan in place and all that um so you know we're talking you know less than ten thousand dollars for a retailer in that situation uh to offer e15 you know on the other end of the spectrum there are older 
uh, retail stations that would require some equipment replacement and some new, uh, maybe new dispensers or, or, or new hoses or things like that, and that the investment is more significant in those cases. But, you know, what we're seeing is you have retailers not even really willing to look at, you know, are they ready for E15 or what would it take for them to do E15 if they're not sure they can sell it all year round? They're just not even going to mess with uh, doing that investigative uh, work if if they think there's a chance that they can't sell the fuel year round. So until we have more clarity uh, out of the EPA on the timing of this thing, I think we're going to continue to see retailers uh, kind of dragging their feet on E15. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. I know there are some who uh, question the impact overall of uh, E15 summer sales, how much of a difference it would make. Uh, it just seems common sense, though, to think the more of it you sell, the, the it's got to help at, at some point and in some ways. Right. Uh, so let's look at what could be the impact that you see if we get year-round sales of E15. Sure. Well, I, I think it is a, a question of, of short-term impact versus long-term, and, and we think uh, allowing year-round sales of E15 is going to have a more significant impact in the longer term. Uh, we know that, uh, you know, we're not going to see every gas station flip the switch overnight and go to E15, uh, you know, if this rulemaking gets done in time for summer. Uh, but it does send the right signal to the marketplace that, hey, you have the flexibility and you have the option to sell E15 year-round, and that that is now, uh, you know, there's not that barrier in place anymore that requires retailers to stop selling E15 and relabel their pumps and all that mess. Um, that's out of the way, and that's a large hurdle. It's been a significant barrier, and we think uh, it does set the industry up well for the long term. Um, you know, again, impact uh, in 2019 is, is likely to be marginal, uh, but uh, you got to start somewhere, and it sends the right signal to the marketplace. The, the market, the ethanol industry, needs some good news. That would be good news. Uh, as we look at these talks with China, we think primarily of soybean sales, but opening up that Chinese market would be big for corn and ethanol as well. Oh, it would be huge, Mike. And, and again, as we look at things, uh, actions that the government can take uh, to kind of put the paddles on the chest of the ethanol industry, which is experiencing you know just terrible economics right now, uh, reopening China, we think, would be that most immediate uh, jolt to the system and, and really help get the industry and, and the marketplace back on its feet and help restore balance uh, in terms of supply and demand. Um, China just has the potential to be a huge market for ethanol. It has been a large market for our exports in the past. Uh, so we're encouraged, I guess, cautiously optimistic that uh, we could see some, some movement with China uh, early this year, and, and uh, you know, glad to see the talks are, are, are occurring there. Uh, we were encouraged to see the announcement on soybeans, albeit, you know, fairly minor uh, minor impact on that marketplace to start out with. But, again, you got to start somewhere, and, and getting our foot back in the door in China uh, would be just a very significant uh, boost to the industry at a time when, when we really need it. About a month from now, we'll be gathering in Orlando for the National Ethanol Conference. I know you're hoping for some good news to be able to report uh, at that meeting, right? Yeah, we, we really are, Mike. You know, it's, 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 it seems like, you know, this, this is the time of year when, uh, you know, ethanol is a cyclical business, and, and um, this time of year is always uh, tends to be the, the, the roughest patch of the year for, for the industry. Um, we might want to think about rescheduling the NEC until the summer or fall, 
uh, moving forward because it seems like we're always meeting uh, when the when the market is kind of at the bottom. Uh, but we really are hoping for some some good news between now and then. We we do think we're going to see forward progress on on the E15 rulemaking. We're hoping for some good news on reallocation of small refiner exemptions and, and repairing that damage. Hoping for some good news on China. We we are seeing uh, positive movement uh, with with some of these things, and, and hope we have some good news to talk about in February. Can you give us an update on the lawsuits uh, that you are involved with uh, over uh, the RFS and the waivers uh, for small refineries and some of those things going on? Uh, would you have a couple of lawsuits you're involved in? Sure. We're, we're actually involved in, in three lawsuits on the small refiner exemptions. Uh, and, and one, uh, I guess the, the, the one where we are seeing uh, some, some pretty quick movement already uh, is our case in the Tenth Circuit. Uh, where we actually sued EPA over its um, granting of small refiner exemptions to two refiners that that we think just did not uh, uh, satisfy the criteria uh, for uh, receiving a, an exemption from the RFS, um, and so that uh, we've already filed opening briefs in 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 that case, um, and you know we think uh, that case could be set up for oral arguments later this summer maybe and and hopefully a a a good decision in in that case would influence uh epa's uh handling of the small refiner uh, process moving forward um you know we've, we've also got our eye on on the fact that the compliance deadline for the 2018 rfs requirements is coming up march 31st of this year uh and so epa is likely um again the shutdown is impacting this as well but epa is likely uh to act on some of the petitions that it got for 2018 for small refiner exemptions and we're very hopeful that that acting administrator wheeler is going to take a much different approach to those than his predecessor did and this will really be his first test on on how he plans to handle small refiner exemptions and the other issue real quick jeff we have to look at uh, have to look at the RFS beyond 2022. Yeah, that, that's right. You know, there, there's this uh, perception, I guess, that is widely held out there that the RFS ends in 2022. It does not end in 2022. What the law says is that uh, the specific volumes that Congress laid out uh, for various types of renewable fuels, those uh, end in 2022, but then EPA has the authority uh, to set the volumes beyond 2022. And so uh, we are very actively uh, working with EPA, uh, again, when they're, when they're back in the office, mm-hmm. um, on what a, a path forward for the RFS post-2022 looks like. Uh, and we think we have a very strong case to make that, you know, if anything, we should be seeing increasing volumes for conventional biofuels like corn ethanol after 2022 it's certainly no no backwardation or steps backward on the rfs all right it's going to be a big year for sure jeff thank you very much and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon thank you all right thanks so much mike jeff cooper president and ceo of the renewable fuels association up next lab meat fake meat imitation meat whatever you want to call it we're going to talk about it with danielle beck with the national cattlemen's beef association an update next on aoa Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. 
At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you going to do? You're going to go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You got to dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. No, you won't. Because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Uh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. 
the Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. What does Meals on Wheels do? They deliver meals and smiles to homebound seniors. But Meals on Wheels does something else. They turn a volunteer's lunch break into a meaningful experience. As small and as simple as the relationship is between a volunteer and a client of Meals on Wheels, it's really so impactful. I never thought that five minutes could make so much difference in the lives of two people, but it has. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And joining us now is Danielle Beck, Director of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Danielle, thanks for joining us. Every time I see a story now about uh, lab-grown meat coming soon or coming to the marketplace will consumers eat uh, or choose lab-grown meat i think of you and uh, you know our conversations over the course of this past year which we talked a lot about who has oversight and how it came down with you know fda and usda but uh, the bigger question about uh, this particular topic uh, I think we're going to get into some interesting questions and areas here as this progresses. But I wanted to talk with you about, about an update. To where do we stand on this? Well, Mike, thanks so much for having me. It's, it's always a pleasure. Uh, and, yeah, I guess over the last year, I have i don't know if it's a self-proclaimed title I want to own or not, but I, I feel like I'm, you know, my colleagues joke, I'm the self fake meat queen. Uh, and there's more to, more work to be done on this issue, but uh, some progress has been made, uh, you know, since right before Christmas. Uh, that was when the comment period closed between uh, USDA and FDA in response to their public meeting as well as their joint announcement that happened uh, in November saying that they had come to an agreement on who would regulate what uh, relative to this product. Right now we, we believe FDA will oversee the collection of cells the cell lines and the cell banks, and USDA will oversee the day-to-day production and uh, the labeling. But there are a lot of unknowns. There are a lot of other aspects of oversight that have yet to be hammered out. And it's my understanding the agencies are in the process of uh, trying to finalize a memorandum of understanding. So we still have a ways to go. How far away do you think we are from seeing a lot of this product uh, available to consumers? You know, I keep hearing that the one thing holding uh, some of these products up uh, up from market entry is this uncertainty surrounding a, a regulatory framework. Uh, it sounds like some companies are a lot further along than others, uh, one of which may be ready to enter the market here in the United States in 2019. But again, uh, the one one thing in the way is this regulatory framework. That said, it's you know I have yet to hear of one company that's actually got a, a commercial sized production facility, uh, and so you know. It could be a lot of posturing. You know, there's a lot more work to be done on the R&D side of things, uh, but the technology is rapidly advancing. So I, I would say sooner rather than later. Obviously, the beef industry is not excited about having more competition in, in, in the marketplace. No one's usually excited about that. But on the other hand, uh, you're not saying keep them out. You're saying make sure they have to play by the same rules and make sure the consumers are not misled. Absolutely. From day one, you know, our goal has never to 
you know, has never been to come across as anti-competitive. We are, we're not afraid of the competition. Uh, while we're not thrilled with it, we're not afraid of it. We're happy to compete. But the only way to do so fairly is on an even playing field. You know, if you're going to be going after our market share, then you need to play by the same set of rules and standards. Uh, nomenclature, that's important. You know, companies producing lab-grown products should not be allowed to use disparaging terms like clean. Uh, but, you know, just as important, if not more importantly, these companies need to adhere to the same set of stringent food safety regulations uh, because consumer protection is, you know, very important. Names, labels, words matter in this, don't they? What we've seen, and we, you drew parallels during the course of last year in this debate on oversight, you drew parallels to the, the dairy industry and uh, the use of the term and the name milk or dairy by some of these plant imitation products that are out there. Uh, that very much applies in this case, in this situation, too. It does. You know, words absolutely have meaning. Uh, and beef producers are, are proud of their legacy. They work hard every single day to produce the safest, most nutritious, affordable protein out there. Uh, you know, in my personal opinion, it's also the tastiest. Uh, and so, you know, that term beef, it has meaning. And, you know, we believe that the term beef should only apply to products that are produced, uh, you know, in the way nature intended. Lab-grown products are also going to be looking at ways that they can differentiate themselves in the marketplace, and labeling and the nomenclature associated with their products is one way that they're going to look to do that. Uh, and so USDA will hopefully come up with some sort of compromise, uh, a solution that will allow you know, traditional product nomenclature to be protected while also allowing these products to, to differentiate themselves. But one of the things we asked for in our uh, public comment submission was that USDA conduct a study uh, to determine consumer understanding and what, what labeling terms, uh, what terms talking about production practices actually will provide consumers with enough information to make accurate, informed purchasing decisions. Do you draw any parallels or get any hints of how this might play out based on what we have seen from USDA on their biotech labeling rules? Well, I think at this point there's so much work that needs to be done between both USDA and FDA that they've been pretty tight-lipped. Uh, it also doesn't help that they're, you know, the government is now in the second week of a shutdown, uh, and so there aren't enough employees to go around to be really focusing and working on this uh, each and every day. Uh, hopefully they will take a, a measured, pragmatic approach similar to what happened with GMOs. I, I wouldn't expect the agency to do anything otherwise. Mm-hmm. I, I, just, I think it's fascinating. Uh, once, if it does get to the marketplace, if uh, someone's out there marketing this, to see what consumer reaction will be just based on the skepticism we've seen by many consumers over GMOs, that technology, uh, I would think it would be a tough sell. But that remains to be seen uh, how this plays out. But uh, what you want to assure is that uh, you got a level playing field, right? Absolutely. You know, I think consumers uh, sometimes pick and choose their science, but at the end of the day, if you look at the trends in terms of millennials in urban areas especially, there is a drive to know exactly where their food is coming from. They like purchasing, you know, what is quote-unquote all-natural, organic, locally grown. They like the idea of supporting their local farmers and ranchers. And so, you know, we're confident that our products will continue to beat out the competition regardless of, you know, whether it's chicken, pork, you know, pork, uh, a black bean burger, a burger that bleeds and sizzles like real meat but's made, but is made from plants, or even, you know, a burger produced in a laboratory environment. But uh, I don't think you can get closer to the definition of a factory farm than something made in a lab. And that, that will resonate with consumers. 
All right, Danielle, thank you very much, and uh, we'll stay in touch with you. Uh, as this, it's, it's, It'll be a story certainly to watch throughout uh, 2019, and thank you for keeping us up to date. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Mike. All right, take care. Danielle Beck, Director of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. All right, that's going to wrap it up for today. We have a busy few weeks ahead. We're going to be broadcasting live next week from New Orleans and the American Farm Bureau Federation annual meeting. And then in the days and weeks to come, the National Biodiesel Board's annual convention, National Cattlemen's Beef Association convention, National Ethanol Conference, and Commodity Classic, all coming up in the next few weeks here on AOA. Thanks for being with us today. Have a great day, everyone. Join us tomorrow right here on Adams on Agriculture. I can't believe he found them. He seems sorry. We very clearly told him not to look up there. I'm honestly impressed that he was able to do it. Right? What, did he balance on that big chair? Yeah, I mean, I guess he'll just know what his gifts are this year. I really thought we had hidden them well. If they can find their presence, they can find a gun. 911, what is your emergency? Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and Family Fire. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water in incredible 100 44 times a day. You simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing.